we are, Dave. Here we are in a podcast room. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd one, isn't it? I, it feels really awkward recording a podcast. Yeah, it's. We thought it'd be really easy. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's quite difficult. And let's let's be honest. This is our third or fourth take of even trying to just talk because I felt that I suddenly had to be like, "Hello, everyone, and welcome to." And <laughs> we've become toddlers again. We're just, try, we're, <laughs> just we're trying to, to learn how to talk. So, so the project after what I've learned more than anything is that we are shit at naming things. Yeah. But we've kind of stuck for now to calling this thing Seek Professional Help. Yep. I think it it kind of makes sense. It hits a lot of the 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 reasons why we're doing it without actually saying why we're doing it. So it's it it works. I like it. It's it's short and snappy. Yeah. As opposed to some other other ideas. So, we had some shocking. So, so the concept of the podcast, right, is you're you're a wealth manager, correct? If I got your title yeah, right, I right. probably will call you an accountant <laughs> a lot. Um, but you're a, a chartered wealth manager, and I know fuck all about your industry. I'm a physio. Yeah. You you probably know more about my industry than I know about yours. Yeah, I mean, I just from going to the gym since we've been quite young, yeah, I think you... a big guy as well. Yeah, I'm pretty stacked. So, yeah, I've picked up tips and tricks along the way, but, like, I don't know the details. Mm-hmm. Like, I know from, I guess, gym bros. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And we want to, I guess, educate each other. I'm... I've all these years taken the piss out a little bit out of you being an an accountant and finance and it's not a world that I've if I'm honest found massively interesting growing up hence why I never went there but actually as I've got older I've gone out it is quite interesting it now impacts me more I can't just pretend that finance is something I don't have to think about at all yeah yeah 100% and I guess similar for me like I make a joke that you just apply deep heat, and which I do. <laughs> that's all you kind of do. Okay, take five, five years of study just to correctly apply deep heat. <laughs> but as I and this is going to sound like I'm really old now, but as I'm getting older, I'm actually getting more injuries and like small pains and aches, and I'm only 28, so it's really sad. But I want to learn how to avoid it, prevent mm. it, and like yeah, get get through it. I guess. Yeah. So we're going to try and. We're going to try and debunk myths in each industry, educate each other, educate ourselves, learn how to make a podcast, which has been the biggest challenge so far, recording studios, all of that nonsense. Yeah. Not Um, sounding like a knob on the thing, but the name Seek Professional Help was a long time coming because, you know, those industries of wealth and health, I couldn't get, what was it? Well, health, health, out of my head. I was sure it was going to be called W brackets H elf. That yeah. sounded really clever. I thought that was like a it was million. A, it was a close second, <laughs> but yeah, I I hope you enjoy what's to come. Yeah, absolutely. Should we rock on? Let's Give go. It a go. Let's do it. Welcome to our first ever episode of Seek Professional Help. Today we are going to just do a, a quick episode on 
a few common myths in our industries. As we just said, the premise of this whole project, I guess, is to kind of cut out a lot of the bullshit that we see around on social media and try and challenge some of the things people believe, both in finance and kind of health fitness space. So let's crack on. I'm excited, Dave. This yeah. is going to be a good one, I think. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too. Um, so do you want to start us off with a, with a finance type one? Yeah, certainly. So my first myth... The stock market always goes up, right? I hear this from, this is like your standard throwaway comment where you kind of hear it down the pub or it's just everywhere. And it's something like, it is true, right? I can't, it, but I'm Oh, so it's not a myth. Thank you. Our first ever <laughs> but, myth is true. But, let, but let's unpack it a little bit because I think just saying the stock market always goes up is kind of, it's like saying to someone, oh yeah, you're going to make money in it. No worries, don't worry about it. But you need to dive into that a little bit more, okay? So the context behind that is, so the stock market does tend to move with economic growth and it moves along with company earnings as well. So you do get this trend of like an up and to the right graph. If you look at any kind of major market, so like taking the US as an example. So the S&P 500, I think is probably the most famous one that kind of people usually refer to, um, is you, on average, over the, like the last hundred years, if you looked at the graph, it is like this, up and to the right, you've got this average 9% return and people just assume that that's what you're gonna get. But the truth is that, yeah, if you did go into that and you've, going to hold it in a really long time horizon on average you are going to get nine percent return or there and thereabouts but people don't your portfolio isn't just made up of a sing, single index or a market that you're tracking if you're if you're an investor you do tend to go into lots of different things and you, you're trying to think you're, you're trying to diversify and all this kind of stuff but when you really look into it there are different markets that if you'd have held them over the same time, you actually wouldn't have made money or you would have made l really small amounts. So taking the S&P for an example, obviously the, the S&P is split up into lots of different sectors. So part of it is in finan financial, so like banks and stuff, technology companies, all this kind of stuff. And you can split it out into sectors. So looking at energy, for example, so the S&P energy market index, fill up with all these big energy and oil companies. If you'd have hold, held that from the same amount of time, like over, a, say, a 10-year basis, your return would have been like 0.3%, mm. right? So, and that's not being inflation. So your real return is going to be negative amount in that. So just saying the stock market goes up isn't really like a, I know it's not a proper myth, but it's like you got to unpack that a little bit more. Okay, so is it more that a more accurate description description is if you take a really long-term view it always goes up but in the more short term or even like relative short term it, it fluctuates would that be a better yeah exactly so over a long-term time horizon and taking the market as a whole yeah you're gonna make money but if you if you look at more specific sectors or even stocks you're probably you you're flipping a coin a little bit more there got you okay so nice. that's my first one. First I, one. I hope that was kind of 
interesting for you, Dave. But I, I'm interested to hear what your your first one's going to be. Okay. My first one is about beliefs around running and arthritis. Okay. okay. So I always hear from patients, I don't know if this is something you believe, but patients come in and say, I know running's bad for my knees and it can give me arthritis. I hear that all the time from people just like off the cuff being, oh yeah, that's really bad for your knees. Yeah. All the time. Is it something, do you, do you believe that running gives you arthritis? So I don't, but I want, shall I explain why I don't? Yeah, yeah, please. So, I actually heard a podcast really recently. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, that that the guy I can't remember who it was, but the guy was basically suggesting that using using your knees in its in the in a correct form is actually beneficial. It's it has the opposite effect. It's when you don't use your knees is when it's kind of like use it or lose it, right? Yeah. That's kind of the 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 way I was told by this person. So there's certainly no conclusive evidence that runners have higher rates of hip or knee osteoarthritis. So loads of studies now look at, you know, scans of people's hips and knees and they look at their running history across their life and actually there's evidence to show that certainly recreational runners have lower amounts of arthritic changes to the bones. So there's no correlation whatsoever. No, no, no conclusive yeah. correlation at all, um, and potentially the the phrase that you use that you know running's bad for my knees. I think the one thing I would say is that if suddenly somebody who isn't well conditioned, so isn't strong in certain muscles, starts running, they might end up causing injuries, but more likely to to do with their other to other structures and overloading other structures because of little compensatory mechanisms and stuff. So running can cause you pain in your knee, but don't be scared of it. It's not going to degenerate the bones. They're not going to start crumbling away on you. You're not going to be in a wheelchair. You're not going to well. be in a wheelchair. You Actually, for long-term knee health, studies are actually beginning to show that we can make positive changes to our knee health. So... Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Running doesn't give you arthritis. Done. Next. Go. All right, so my next one, okay, is a statement. More risk equals more return, right? Have you heard that before? Yeah. I feel, again, I feel like it's one that is thrown around a lot and people kind of believe it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take loads of risk. I'm going to get all this upside return. But like... Again, you've got to unpack it. It's like, what does risk mean to you? Like, what is risk, Dave? How, do, how, how would you try to, how would you define it for you? Financially or just in life? However you want to do it. Both. Let's go both. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd say risk is, is how willing am I to... It's a hard question. It's a really hard question without just using the word risk, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and uh, just to jump in there, so risk, people in finance love to quant quantify stuff. Comes to probability, doesn't it? Yeah, like, so they want to get numbers in it. Um, but I'll let you finish in a second. So, yeah, it's people want to quantify it, and without using the word risk, it's really hard to do really it. really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I feel like I'm, I sound like a right idiot, but 
risk without using the word risk how do i define risk i guess something that's high risk <laughs> is something that i know is 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 going to give me a lot of reward but there's a low probability that it will come true okay if that makes sense it's ta- taking a risk is you know, again, financially, I guess, quitting a stable job where I know there's a guaranteed income for the chance of making a lot of money. But you could also have fucking no money or yeah. go bankrupt. So that's your that's your downside yeah. risk, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's, fair, it's, it's a tough question. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll go into it. So, yeah, as I say, in finance, people want to quantify stuff all the time. Risk if you're looking at the stock market, they, they'll, we, I say we, they will use something called standard deviation. I'm sure you know what it is. So it's, it basically measures the variations around an average number. And then that number is essentially what you'd call volatility or, or, or standard deviation. So if the, the price goes up 10%, down 10%, you're kind of going to get your volatility or your standard deviation around the 10% number because that's how you want to quantify it. But if you think about that, you're quite, you're, you're measuring risk there on both upside and downside. When in reality, we don't care so much about your upside risk. What you actually care about is your downside risk because that's the part of your risk. You're actually potentially, you're going to lose money or you're going to lose something, right? Because your, your upside of it is great. But, but the downside is the, the thing that is, is scary. So getting back to the question, not the question, but the, the myth. So mm. more risk equals more return. If you lose 50% of your, say we started with 100 pounds, it goes down by 50%. You've got to get back, to get back to zero, or sorry, if you get back to, you want to get back to 100, you've got to make a 100% return, right? So... That means by taking more risk and having that more deviation, you've now got, and say you had that experience that full, you've now got to get a return of 100 just to get back to where you started. So if we think about it in a different way, it's like you could take less risk and potentially lose less. But then if you if you fall, say, 20%, you've actually not got to make as much to get back to where you started. So by saying the more risk is more return isn't necessarily true, even though it can be. <laughs> um, so as an example, we could go with, again, using the energy sector, right? And the S&P energy. So over a 10-year annualized period, I said it, it made 0.3%. But your volatility that you experienced there was actually close to 30%. So that risk that you've taken for your return is really bad because if your the volatility is thirty percent, you'd kind of expect your return on that to be way bigger, um, but it wasn't. So, yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is you want to look at it as a risk-adjusted basis. So, risk-adjusted return is probably a better look. So, using your example, if you're going to change jobs and go self-employed or something like that, you've got potential of losing. I don't know. Say you're making thirty grand a year you've got potential of you basically losing 30 grand, but your upside is uncapped. So that risk return, adjusted return, is actually a pretty good trade-off because if you've got the ability to earn 100 grand instead of losing 30, that return ratio is actually a fair fair amount. 
Um, but yeah, risk is is it's a subject. It's it's, it's relative to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of subjective. Like my risk will be different to your risk, and yeah, it's it's a really it's a hard one to. And I think we've both. Well, I know we've both read that book by is it, I think it's Daniel Kahneman. Kahneman. Yeah, yeah, Daniel Kahneman. Um, all all about statistics and there's that phenomenon around loss aversion. So behaviorally, humans are going to respond more negatively to losing £100 than they would respond positively to gaining £100. So even though it being the same amount of money, the, the positive psychological impact of, of gaining is less than the psychological impact of, of losing yeah i think it's actually um it's double so you perceive a loss two times more wow. than you you perceive a gain so yeah it's but again it's different for everybody as well so of course yeah cool all right next one oh, it's like a <laughs> it's like a absolute steam train isn't it I know. so k-tape are you aware what k-tape is seen or heard of k-tape yes i i actually am a user of k-tape because i tend to get really bad blisters anytime i run okay. so i use it on, yeah so sorry i actually use it on my feet instead okay. of plasters which wow okay it cut that looked like it shocked you then well it well <laughs> it did i've just not i've not really used it for that method i would probably use a blister plaster for blisters but probably cheaper and you're a cheap bastard yeah, aren't you exactly um <laughs> um Okay, well, actually, my I'm not going to... I thought I was about to ruin your day, if I'm honest. Okay. But I now don't think I'm going to ruin your day because I'm sure as a blister plaster, K-tape may be effective because it, it will provide a, a protective barrier to the skin. I'm really interested where you're going with this. <laughs> but K-tape is fucking useless otherwise. Interesting. That's my myth. Okay. So, uh, apologies, I didn't warn you in advance. If you're a K-Tape user, I might have just broken a lot of your life. Um, and we are, I think, I think there's, there's, you know, a chat to have about placebo here, which is too long to go into in, in a quick-fire myth-busting round. But there is no clinical evidence that K-tape is effective for anything. And just for everyone listening, K-tape is, I feel like rugby players love it. They, you see them strapped up in on their like knees or like on their shoulder or whatever. Potentially, I think I think potentially rugby players use more of the, the more resistance. So the K-tape for, for people listening who might not know what it is, is the, is, is kinesiology tape. It's, it's, it's pretty stretchy, often coloured, tape rugby players often use more like zinc oxide and supportive tape which which is a different tie it's more rigid tighter and, and it possibly does provide joint support and stuff even though again the evidence around that is very very shaky but let's stick specifically to k-tape for this you know you'll normally see maybe up the back of their leg like a blue strip or something runners i, I associate it more with run runners and crossfitters okay you see, you see it that they've got this blue strap across their back on their shoulders, a common place, or up the, up the back of the leg. But yeah, 
unfortunately, K-Tape users. And it's there for show. <laughs> well, again, and when I said the placebo thing, if, if, you, if you did believe K-Tape worked, it possibly did work for you, and it possibly did reduce your pain. But now, because I've broken the myth, it might not do that. So, so it's a big apology to any any K tape users listening. But I might save you some money here. Um, and the evidence of why it's useful from a placebo point of view is is also really interesting to me. And the fact that you might put it over a joint, and it might therefore provide you a small amount of awareness that you've got an injury that you might want to protect might be enough to, to reduce your pain there. But yeah, if you look at a load of studies that that go into people using K-tape in different ways, basically they found no difference in how it was applied. Right. So one group apply it with a prof- professional physio putting it on at, at a good degree of stretch, X, Y, Z, and the other group, just someone just slapping it on. And the the differences in, in pain outcomes, performance outcomes are no different. Interesting. Um, there's no difference in people's strength or speed, let's say, when they're running, if they've got it on or if they haven't got it on. Um, there are some very, and again, I think probably coming back into the placebo element, some potential small decreases in pain if somebody uses the tape okay but in the other measurable things you know strength speed um and actually that for me more to the point and i might be doing physios a lot of discredit here but you can have a, a sham application as they put it in the literature someone just kind of whacking it on okay. or it not being K-tape. Sure, okay. So if somebody has a placebo, okay, I've got K-tape on, but it's not the branded yeah, same, yeah, same yeah, tape. Yeah. Or somebody doing it in the really proper way. Right. Sorry, guys. Not a thing. But it looks kind of cool. It looks cool. And it's good for bl- uh, yeah. blisters, so... It, yeah, for blisters, <laughs> I might start using I it. I can confirm. It's a bit, But I guess... Nobody thinks racing stripes make you faster on a car if they really think about it, but they look cool. So, do you know what, Warriors? Keep going. It's a fashion statement. Come see me and I'll apply your (laughs) K-tape expertly. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I I feel that we might have just um, written off that K-tape sponsorship deal. We are still interested if if you are. Please. (laughs) Scott, over to you. Okay, so my last Quick myth. No, sorry. <laughs> okay, so my last myth. Um, keeping with stock market for this one, just to kind of keep the theme going. Again, it's another statement I always hear down the pub or in like a back of a taxi. Revealing you yeah. spend far too much time <laughs> in pubs. It's where I work. <laughs> um, is you hear it's a great time to buy. The market's down ninety percent, or the stock's down ninety percent. It's cheap. Buy it. Right? Yeah, I, I, mean, I, yeah. I really believe that one. I, if if someone tells me something's down, Bitcoin's down. Yeah, yeah, it. exactly. And and I, I think bought Bitcoin, but. We, 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 you get this all the time. You hear from someone, look, it's down eighty percent. Mm, it's down fifty percent. Buy it in, you're going to make loads of money, right? In some cases, yeah, it 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 could have happened, and you could buy at a really good time. Um, but what happens usually? So when the market as a whole goes down, you tend to get 
good companies go down and bad companies. It doesn't discriminate, okay? So you do get some really great bargains because you'll get a 50% decline, as in a very extreme example. And you might get something like an Amazon back in the 2000 dot com crash when it was down sort of over that. If you'd bought then, you'd make in like 2000% back. However, there are also companies who were, who deserve to go down where if you'd have bought them, you actually wouldn't be making your money back. Um, this concept is is something called value investing, brought to the the surface by Benjamin Graham, who's a very famous investor, um, and then Warren Buffett, who mm. everyone probably knows, who who was a a student of Graham, and he kind of develops kind of this this strategy onwards. But yeah, it's essentially buying buying a company at a bargain that is lower than what it should be priced, um, but that said, as going back to the the where you might not make your money. So again, using um, the two thousands as an example, because this is when one of these great crashes happened. You had a company called General Electric, um, a U.S. company, was the biggest by market cap, biggest company in the S and P five hundred at the time. I think it its price peaked at three hundred and fifty odd dollars, right? If we fast forward 23 years later today, General Electric, what do you reckon its price is right now, Dave? Its share price. What was it again? So it, it peaked at 350 23 years ago. 200. 200. And, and this is based, this is assuming that the market has since 2000 gone up a lot, yeah. right? It's It's gone up a lot. So if you bought it today, or if you would have held it, sorry, all through that, you'd be currently only on $111. So just kind of emphasizing the fact that you, just because you bought it high and it's gone down, it's not necessarily going to come back. Um, I made your fact sound a little bit less dramatic. Yeah, so, no, I know. You wanted me to say, say 3 million, didn't you? Um, yeah. I, I, you know what? If you hadn't set me up with the rest of the facts, yeah. I... I Fair. I would have I Fair. would have given you what you wanted. Should we do that bit again? <laughs> <laughs> One million dollars. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, that is interesting though, because because I'm a, I'm definitely a believer of thing, you know, when people buy yeah. buy 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 when things are, are low. Yeah. And um Which is a good solution. Like usually people you will is a better time because you're most likely gonna get a better price for it. And no one knows what the the future of this price is going to be. I just picked this one as an example, mm-hmm. um, but like, yeah, let's look, look at it in Bitcoin. I it topped at like sixty thousand mm. dollars. Will it get back to there? I don't know. So my last one, yeah, is all about back pain. Okay, and lifting in the gym. Okay, so you might not be a believer of this. You're you're probably not. However, it's really common in social media and I've had hundreds probably of patients saying, I don't like to lift in the gym, I don't like to deadlift, I don't like to squat, I don't like to lift too much weight because I know it can be really bad for my back and I might injure my back and my discs will pop out and those kind of things. Have you have you heard that before? Yeah, like I... <laughs> Not so long ago, I think I was deadlifting in the gym and there were people next to me basically talking about how they would never deadlift because of of those very reasons and 
like I wasn't using a belt or anything like that and they were like cool that's I think they actually made a comment you're like you're brave I was like okay crazy <laughs> wow yeah um do you believe that are you no like I think it within reason right you don't want to go and try and do 300 kilos and then bust your back out because that could happen but if you're building up to it absolutely and and I think this I this could be a whole episode and I've actually got a lot I would like to talk about here but let's keep it short and sweet similar to point one about the running thing if you do something unaccustomed that your body's not ready for and you're not you know you don't do things in a really gradual sensible way you do run the risk of getting an injury however like with the running thing and the arthritis evidence actually showed us shows us that people who lift frequently and regularly in a in a, in a I don't I don't even want to say good way because it's actually again not at, about the position the position that you lift as well is that's another topic but doesn't seem to affect you know having a flex spine doesn't seem to be actually a risk factor at all for back pain again as long as you didn't suddenly decide to pick up 300 kilos when you had never deadlifted before when you say flex spine is that so so a bent a bent okay. spine there's this obsession by keeping really straight in yeah, the lower yeah, back yeah. um but yeah people who lift, lift regularly actually their their spinal structures their discs and 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 other structures within their back adapt and will will be at lower risk of degenerative changes and 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 conditions than those who don't Basically, those who, who don't lift and are inactive have higher rates of back pain and degeneration in later issues. life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, that makes sense, doesn't it? I feel mm -hmm. like if, if you're not using it, you're losing it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. I like to say. Um, so, yeah, there's, again, there's no, no evidence about people who lift regularly getting lots of back pain. And there's not a lot of evidence about lifting form changing back pain either see that's the interesting one i think mm. the the first part of that I, you kind of kind of knew just from going to the gym quite a lot but the form thing is more of the that's kind of drilled into you like yeah. when you first first i think when we first ever went like at 15 16 it was always like keep that back straight you're gonna yeah. you're gonna hurt it but that's yeah so that is and i think I, th I i think we could you know as I said, this podcast is very much, this first episode was just, let's just bosh out a few quick facts. Yeah, yeah. That could be probably the, the back pain thing in terms of talking about what the evidence says and doesn't say around a, a neutral straight spine and a flex spine. There's actually a whole Loads. world of clashing heads in social media at the moment. And I think sometimes you have to take arguments like that and, and be a bit like, take the neutral middle ground and, and, and look at both sides and just be sensible rather than being extreme either way and, yeah, and yeah. calling people morons and all of these things. You, you've got to approach these topics in a, in a more sensible way than I think is being done. But yeah, I'm sure we'll get into yeah. any of these these myths a little bit in more detail. Yeah, 100%. I think we touched the surface on all of them to keep, yeah. it, keep it kind of quick. But... Yeah, hundred percent. You can unpack a lot of stuff that we've we've spoken about today. So, yeah, I I think that's that's kind yeah, of let's wrap it up. Really up. quick one today, and um, I look forward to moving forward with this project. Yeah, I guess I'm very excited. the The format will be slightly different 
in the in the longer episodes we're gonna talk predominantly about one of either a finance episode or a or a physio episode yeah so we're gonna take it in turns um so trying to keep things interesting and yeah any questions that people do have and want to want to know that you know if you've seen something that you're like oh that'd be really interesting no and send them in we can we can yeah see if we can help with anything yeah and and i think things will come out of even these six little quick myth busting topics which we can which we can build upon so thanks dave no thank you and see you next week